Welcome to ACE Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in as we elevate clinical endocrinology by taking deep dives into trends and topics that can help us improve our patient care and global health. Find the latest episodes on aace.com podcasts. And now let's meet the endocrine experts who will be talking with us today. Hello and welcome to today's ACE Podcast. My name is Vintang Preacher. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of ACE's Journal Endocrine Practice, and I have the pleasure of hosting today's podcast on ACE's Consensus Statement, Addressing Stigma and Bias in the Diagnosis and Management of Patients with Obesity, Adiposity-Based Chronic Disease. And today we have the pleasure of having Dr. Carl Nadowski as our expert on this topic. He is the chair of this new consensus statement. He was the past obesity DSN chair, and he was a past member of the ACE board. And uh, we're very delighted to have him talk about this guideline just released this year and published in Endocrine Practice. Uh, and you can read the full text online. And this will also be discussed at the ACE Annual Meeting 2023 in Seattle. Carl, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do and all your positions? Yeah, all right. Well, thanks for having me and, and talking about this really important topic that really needs to make some progress in society as, as a whole. So I'm Carl Nadelsky. I am currently, I just recently switched uh, jobs essentially to start the endocrine, obesity, and metabolic health department for my local hospital system, Holland Hospital. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, yeah, I've been involved in ACE really since I was a fellow at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. I was uh, introduced to and then taken under the wing by some of our great obesity leaders in, in ACE who have really been great mentors. And uh, you know, I helped out with the 2016 guideline. I was at a 2014 consensus conference that we'll, we'll mention today. And uh, have since, like you said, I was the chair of the Obesity Disease State Network and um, have helped out at different levels. And yeah, always excited to help out. And this was a really nice charge that was given to us and to get a lot of other organizations involved and, and really make progress for people who are struggling with obesity. Really with the charge of the concept of the intersection of the diagnosis and staging of obesity that's confounded by weight bias and stigma, mm -hmm. which are a little bit, you know, maybe abstract concepts for people, but it's becoming a little bit more well-known. Mm -hmm. Thank you again. Thank you for your service, not only to ACE, but to our country. Thank you very much. Thanks. So I wanted to talk to you, Carl, about how this project started. I was at the meeting immediately following mm -hmm. the ACE annual meeting 2022. And I was so impressed with how many people showed up. It was at the end of the meeting and the room was full. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how did this start? How did these stakeholders get together? Who are these stakeholders? Yeah, well, so I'm going to talk a little bit about a 2020 international consensus on ending stigma of obesity in a little bit. So we really, this was a little bit of a stepping stone from that. And the ask of us was to put together a real large uh, consensus panel of mostly clinicians. So it wasn't all stakeholders of obesity medicine. Like back in 2014, when we talked about diagnosis and, and staging of obesity, we included in there were insurance companies and government 
and all sorts of different stakeholders. This was more about how clinicians of all varieties can help make progress in, in the public light of obesity stigma in that intersection of, of diagnosis, because that certainly plays a role, the diagnosis staging, so that we can manage it appropriately. And so we had, well, I don't know if I need to read off the whole list, but from the, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics to societies of family practice, physicians, nurse practitioners, we had sports medicine, we had leadership, in fact, the president of the ADA at that time, the American Diabetes Association. We had the Osteopathic Association, certainly important American Society for Metabolic Bariatric Surgery, Endocrine Society, European Association for the Study of Obesity, uh, the Obesity Society, Obesity Medicine Association, Obesity Canada, Obesity Action Coalition, which is important for patient advocacy, and then others like the International Society of Sports and Nutrition, uh, American Society for Nutrition. So a really nice, and we had psychologists there, and then a lot of ACE members, in addition to representatives of those organizations who have interest in obesity medicine and also our, our leadership to help support our efforts. I'm so impressed. I mean, that is a lot of people to get yeah. together in a short period of time. Is this statement so unique? There isn't anything out there like this or... Not really. So like I said, this international panel, this consensus that got together several years ago, which we had representation, by the way, Jeff Mechanic represented ACE there and many other people we know who got together in this international consensus statement published by Francisco Rubino. So really in 2020, there was a publication in Nature Medicine by Francisco Rubino who led that international consensus statement. It was called the Joint International Consensus Statement for Ending Stigma of Obesity. And so they came out with a bunch of recommendations, essentially, for how, again, the world globally, we can work on ending stigma and we can go over those. But then as a stepping stone, we went to saying, well, how can we really, when the rubber hits the road, how can clinicians of all these different varieties, you know, really make an impact and the thought was that this intersection of diagnosis staging, you know, has this vicious cycle with stigma and weight bias because it's not getting done appropriately, right? We know that. We know it's it's not being treated appropriately and we need to keep making advances. So just for example, some of their consensus statements on the prevalence of weight stigma and weight-based discrimination, they talked about a substantial body of evidence demonstrating weight-based stigma being extremely pervasive among people of diverse ages and backgrounds, and that many healthcare professionals hold negative attitudes about obesity. And we know that, and that's part of why it's not getting diagnosed, staged appropriately, and, and treated appropriately. We see it to this day. I see it on Twitter all the time. Uh, people say, nope, this is ridiculous. You guys are making it a medical condition. And it is, it is a disease. And we can talk about that too. Um, there's there's plenty of evidence that they, they note uh, how weight-based stigma and internalized weight bias, we'll talk about these definitions, are harmful to the mental health of patients. That seems fairly obvious, but it's associated with depressive symptoms, anxiety, low self-esteem, social isolation, stress, and even substance abuse. And so I encourage everyone to look at this statement because it was really a stepping stone for what we were trying to do in addressing what can we do as clinicians to make some progress from this. Yeah, I want to talk about the definitions in a little bit, but before I move to that, I want to get your your thoughts about the differences between a guideline, consensus <laughs> statement. What does it really mean, consensus statement? Do yeah. all these societies are they agreeing to this? What does that mean for the the reader? 
Right. So and you may be even better at uh, delineating this than I am because there are there's slight nuances between different organizations. But clinical practice guidelines are extremely evidence based. You know, we talk about those PICO questions that essentially ask for very specific population groups about diagnosis, but oftentimes it's mostly about interventions where we have very good randomized controlled trials to give us very good hard evidence to either recommend or suggest, depending on the terminology we use, that's a little bit weaker recommendation of what treatment to use. This consensus statement was a group of people brought together after a task force was put together to review where the gaps and the, and the uh, barriers were in making progress with this and then asking questions. So we had a bunch of survey questions that went out to all the participants of this consensus conference asking a variety of one, what is your background? So we knew what kind of people we had. Two, is obesity a disease? Agree, disagree, strongly agree, strongly disagree, or, or you know, no comment kind of thing through what impact does, say, body mass index BMI have on the diagnosis and stigma, including the ACE staging of the severity of obesity and how can we incorporate that and improve in this stuff. And then also, where do these thoughts of weight bias and stigma fit into the whole operation? And can we diagnose these things? Mm -hmm. Can we use these as markers of staging the severity of obesity? And what are we going to do about it? And so we had great feedback from the survey that we then discussed at the consensus conference. We did breakout groups and came up with what we call reaffirmed concepts. So things that have really been defined and known and, and these, and then also emergent concepts that we can work on. And we have those published in the document. Great. Let's just jump into it. There's some definitions I think our audience wants to know. What is weight bias, weight mm -hmm. stigma? internalized weight bias. These are terms that maybe someone out there doesn't understand. Can yeah. you give us what yeah. those mean? And these are difficult. And they, yeah, like I said, they might seem a little abstract to people at this point. And so basically we got these from that 2020 international consensus statement for ending stigma of obesity. And they were actually then reaffirmed in Obesity Canada's clinical practice guideline for obesity in adults that was published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal in 2020. So weight bias is defined as negative ideologies associated with excess body weight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Weight stigma is defined as thoughts and acts of discrimination towards individuals due to the weight and size and a result of weight bias. So the weight bias kind of leads to weight stigma. And then very importantly for our patients, internalized weight bias is when a person applies these negative weight stereotypes or bias to themselves and engage in self-devaluation. So this is a really important point that we have to help patients with who are struggling with obesity. And then there's implicit and explicit weight bias. This may be more for, say, clinicians. So implicit weight bias is an unconscious bias toward a person who has obesity, belief or attitudes outside of an individual's awareness and control. So we don't really know it. And we have some tools to help us sort of dig up our own implicit weight bias that we may not realize we have. And that's, you know, as you can imagine, that goes way beyond obesity and even medicine into, you know, bigger, important global issues too. But an explicit weight bias is an awareness of bias and intentionally behaving negatively towards a person who has obesity. And there's far too much of that too. 
So what does a physician or healthcare provider do if they realize they have weight bias and how do they address this? Maybe this is something that was ingrained culturally over time yeah. or in their education. What do they do to address this? Yeah, absolutely. And this is tough. And I think it's education. And I'm actually going to use myself as, as an example. So when I was growing up, as you know, you know, very into athletics, very into science, nutrition, and I kept that up. And one of my goals in life is to focus on nutrition, exercise, physical fitness for the health of our patients. And so if you would have asked me 20 years ago about the disease of obesity and how easy it is to treat, I would say, oh, yeah, I can fix everyone with diet and exercise. Well, you know what? I was wrong. And the data show with a huge amount of data, by the way, between genetics, our environment, and the complex interplay of that pathophysiology, that obesity is a much more complicated disease process than I realized, and I've learned about it, and I acknowledge it, and I guarantee you, I probably had implicit and explicit bias. I probably had explicit bias that maybe turned a little bit into implicit bias and I and I've tried to work on that. So I think education is key. So what we're doing right now, that's what this is for. Maybe this will help. And that, and I think you know our, our partners in crime or not crime but <laughs> absolutely not crime but um you know our partners in all this, you know, the other societies, the other professional organizations across the board, we all need to do a better job of educating medical students, you know, maybe maybe undergrad students and medical yeah. students residencies, fellowships, um, and continuing medical education, which of course is part of what we're working on. Absolutely. Education's key. Yeah. I mean, I remember as a medical student, they would tell students, you know, just eat less, exercise yeah. more. And that was the whole treatment. And that's all you need to know. And, and that is still <laughs> pervasive, <laughs> you know, and, and unfortunately it's people who are supposed to be experts in this. It's our exercise professionals. Sometimes it's our dietitians, our nutritionists, and, and obviously plenty of physicians out there still say that exact same thing. So how do you, I mean, we know all these people out there. How do you counteract that argument? Because you always hear colleagues like, oh no, just they're not, you know, adhering to their 800 calorie diet and they're not exercising two hours a day. That's why they're, you know, and yeah. they're not doing it. How do you counteract that? Well, I, you know, I think, like I said, edu education is key. So, so putting out these statements, there are really good uh, reviews of obesity pathophysiology from ACE, Endocrine Society, uh, the Obesity Society, et cetera, out there, European Association for the Study of Obesity. Um, and, you know, we probably need to get it into the medical schools better. We need to get it into residencies. We probably need to make sure that our collaborative professional societies are having talks on this at their meetings too, not just endocrine meetings, not just obesity meetings, but primary care is probably really important, maybe the most important. And then really all the other specialties. Think about every specialty that has to deal with obesity from orthopedics to obviously cardiology, gastroenterology, rheumatology, pulmonology, nephrology, they all have to deal with this. And so it really is perhaps the most holistic problem we have uh, that needs to be addressed in healthcare, I think. And so yeah. between all of us, we just got to keep spreading it, keep pushing it, debunk myths and help educate. Yeah. 
Something that's really serious, I think, that came up with the consensus statement is the internalized weight bias. And I know mm -hmm. that, uh, I mean, from the stories you hear from patients, this is something we really only hit the tip of the iceberg for. I mean, many patients have this. So how do we help patients with this internalized weight bias? This is something I really feel strongly about. In addition to educating our colleagues, educating patients. And so when people read this consensus statement, they're going to see this concept of a biopsychosocial model of obesity and bias, clinical patient perspectives. And it's really the integration of all the different aspects of life, literally the biomedical, the, the psychological and the social aspects to this. And, you know, educating patients on how obesity is a disease and how it's complex. And it's not easy. It's much easier said than done, right? And uh, so I actually think it's really important to educate them on obesity pathophysiology, how it's very inter-individualized. Everyone has different genetics. Everyone has different environmental impacts. Everyone has different medical conditions, different medications, all sorts of things, injuries that, that contribute to this. And while, yeah, we absolutely need to make nutrition and exercise a foundation for the health of our patients, it is easier said than done. And helping educate them on that is one part. And then the other thing we talked about that's maybe a real primary outcome of this consensus statement is the bigger picture of bias and the chronic care model for obesity and, and adiposity-based chronic disease. So with bias in the middle, and, and people can look at this diagram in the consensus, we talk about improving the societal aspects of this. Right. And this is where we got to get everyone who's a stakeholder in on this. And this is I don't know how to fix this exactly. But, you know, we have governments that are maybe not as helpful. We have insurance companies. You know, we can argue all sorts of things. Big corporate medical systems. We have to improve the society's contribution to helping people. We need a prepared healthcare system. So that's why, you know, I kind of mentioned that with our big healthcare systems. We have to get our healthcare systems in on this as it is. It really is the primary issue we need to help patients with on the front lines. This is why we got to engage our primary care colleagues. We have to be able to address this from a systems-based practice rather than patients only seeing the endocrinologists or obesity specialists as available because there's not enough of us, right? Mm -hmm. And then going back to the education of the patient, the empowered, activated patient. They need to have access to good information, not the misinformation that's out there. They need to recognize that obesity and adiposity-based chronic disease, which encompasses the complications of obesity, right? It's not just weight. It's literally what's on the inside that counts. It's the harm that the excess adiposity and where it's distributed causes. And so that's part of the definition of disease, by the way. That's why this is a disease. We want to prevent or treat diabetes by treating the underlying root cause of, of the obesity, prevent and treat obstructive sleep apnea, all the cardiometabolic aspects, knee arthritis, and all that stuff. So that's an educational aspect for patients recognizing the disease aspect. Mm -hmm. We need to, the patients to be a team partner. They need to learn how to self-manage and also talk about the internalized weight bias. They need to be their own advocates too. We need mm -hmm. to empower them to be self-advocates, work with their families. We probably need to do more family education and counseling and then the community support systems. Ultimately put that all around bias and what we really want, we want optimal outcomes for our patients. Mm -hmm. We want them to be healthier. It's what's on the inside that counts. There's also this concept, and this gets sticky, about health at every size, right? You've maybe heard that. And all of these concepts can be 
too extreme. And so unfortunately, there are some loud extreme voices out there with this health at every size that says, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, while we don't want to have bias and stigma, that's not helpful either. We need to acknowledge that it's a disease process. And there are reasons we want to help people lose weight to treat the underlying root causes of all these complications, the adiposity-based chronic disease. I'm glad you mentioned that health at every size. I know that that's what makes it challenging sometimes because when you know physicians see patients that are uh, obese or overweight, it's sometimes very hard to bring that topic up. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you know, the, the obesity may be the cause of many of the medical issues and physicians are very comfortable treating the hypertension and the diabetes, but, but it's very challenging sometimes because you don't want to cause stigma to address the obesity. So what are some uh, tips for physicians and other healthcare workers to address obesity when that's probably the primary issue? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think it's easier for us as specialists, the endocrinologists and obesity specialists who are literally getting the referrals to us, right? Mm -hmm. But I think, again, more importantly, in the front lines of our primary care colleagues, this is where it needs to be brought up. And this is where people may have heard about the five A's for obesity and ABCD. So we want to ask if we can discuss the weight and the health impact of that broader adiposity-based chronic disease. We want to assess the health status and the complications because that's really how we stage the severity of disease, right? So yeah, there, there may be someone who is struggling with weight and they don't have any complications yet, but we have to be able to discuss the risk of those complications. If they already have type 2 diabetes, sleep apnea, fatty liver, et cetera, they have a much more severe disease state, and we need to be a little bit more urgent and aggressive with our therapy, including nutrition, exercise, fitness, non-exercise activity, and medicine surgery. And then we need to advise on those treatment options based upon the severity of the disease state. And then as a team, you know, really engaging with the patient, we need to be patient-centered, agree on a treatment plan and weight loss goals. You know, that's another thing. People think, well, okay, I got to lose 200 pounds to get down to my high school weight or whatever that is. You know what I mean? That's not true. And so we have weight loss goals that are really clinical correlates or they're surrogates really for our clinical goals. And so once upon a time before we had really good treatment options, it was a 3% weight loss does a lot of good, right? It's that's pretty good. 5% and more is even better. And that's why that's a marker for like a lot of our obesity medication uh, approvals by the FDA. But now, especially with second generations and all the data we have, 7% really good. 10% really our new sort of standard it should be for when we're using these therapies. And then 15% and beyond is great for all these health outcomes that we actually care about. So we don't have to get down to their high school weight. We have to talk about weight loss goals that are reasonable, they're achievable, and also are surrogates of what our true goals are, and that's the clinical outcomes and their health. And then assist, assist in the continuous process of weight management with reassessment of those goals and treatment options. So that's really important, I think, for our frontline colleagues, maybe more so than, than say, the specialists who are getting referred to. But, you know, I certainly still talk about the assess, the advise, the agree, and assist. I don't always necessarily ask because they're being referred (laughs) to me for that. So I know what they're there for. 
these are great uh, five A's uh, for everyone when addressing obesity in, in patients. So that, I think that's very helpful to have that in the consensus statement. But I think this has been a, a terrific conversation that we've just had. I mean, I think it's great that ACE is helping to take the lead with many organizations to address a very important part of uh, obesity management. It's good to have the drugs, but I think you're right. The stigma, the weight bias is going to always be there. And hopefully we can Mm -hmm. lower these barriers to people getting healthier lives. So thank you so much, Dr. Nadalski, for joining us. Do you have any final comments for our audience? You know, I think the one other thing to take from this is uh, when people read this, think about how we can embrace the complexity of obesity and in considering the internalized weight bias, the weight stigma that's affecting our patients. And and what can we as clinicians do, those who are listening to this, this podcast? And so, again, this statement came from discussing the intersection of weight, stigma, bias, and diagnosis and staging. And how can we use some of what ACE has come up with, especially the beyond BMI stuff? You know, we need to be able to diagnose it, but more importantly, stage the severity of it and discuss that pathophysiology with patients and hope that that can help reduce the stigma and bias and get to better outcomes for our patients. Great. Well, thank you so much for what you do for ACE and putting together this statement and hope you come back in the future to uh, give us an update. How things. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to this ACE podcast and hope you enjoyed this podcast today and uh, join us for future podcasts on ACE.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another great ACE podcast. Join us for another episode at aace.com slash podcasts and help us in our mission to elevate clinical endocrinology. Together, we are ACE.